In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This past Friday, I was able to go back to Front Royal to visit St. John the Baptist to be present at the wedding of uh, a young couple. It was a beautiful day and a beautiful Mass. It was a solemn high Mass, obviously, for, court, for Sacred Heart, uh, with, the, with the wedding ceremony at the very beginning. The, um, the groom is music director at a church in Maryland, and so his pastor slash boss and the parochial vicar were the deacon and subdeacon. Uh, Father Barris was the priest. Father Brigida was the master of ceremonies. And there were several other priests there in attendance and choir. It was really, really quite something. It's when, when you see, um, making me sound like an old person, when you see young people who have fully embraced the Christian life, it is inspiring. The, the example of it that stands out most clearly is the toast that the best man gave to the groom and the bride at the reception, which was up at the, at the fire hall in the north part of Warren County. And he told stories and made people laugh and, and then addressed them seriously and reminded them that they have pledged to give up their lives for each other, to die for each other. And their, their vocation will be to help that other person get to heaven. And as I'm looking across the, the fire hall and I see the podium in the corner, below I can see the musicians in the Irish uh, folk band that were there, great band. One of the musicians who was... Uh, right directly in my line of sight, was laughing at all the jokes and enjoying all the stories. But as soon as the best man started talking about dying to yourself and giving up your life and helping this person get to heaven, you could see his face just turn into a corkscrew. Like, this is the strangest thing I've ever heard. And it was a great reminder of what our faith uh, sounds like to people who don't believe the Christian faith. It sounds positively bizarre. It's the happiest moment of someone's life, and you're talking about death. Now, there are inelegant ways to preach the Christian message, but the best man who was speaking was quite eloquent. It's good to be reminded at times what this sounds like to those who are not Christian. I was reminded of that in another way during the Bible study this past week when so many of you were reading through St. John's Gospel and the Epistles of John and the Book of Revelation this past week. The notion of God being word the Word isn't just a thing of God, but it turns out that the Word of God is God, is God the Son, spoken by God the Father. The creation of the world was through, through this Word, not through brute force, but through beauty, through elegance, through harmony, through wisdom. It sounds lovely to Christian ears. Think of how it sounds to non-Christian ears. 
Imagine there's God. The universe hasn't been created yet. There's just simply God. God freely decides to create the universe and to create the universe in such a way that some of the creatures will have freedom. And some of those creatures will use their freedom for evil. And in order to rescue some of these creatures, God will enter into the world and die, suffer physical death, to rescue some of them. And since God is not only omnipotent, but also omniscient, God knows all of this. God knows all the possibilities. God knows the impossibilities. And still freely chooses to make this universe in that way. Non-Christians are going to look at us and turn their face into a corkscrew and say, are you serious? You, this is the God that you believe in? It, 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 it's, it's shocking. There's a reason why St. Paul found this message to be a stumbling block to Jews and to Greeks. The notion of the incarnation is just the, the, the most striking, glaring absurdity. There are some reasons why we can appreciate the shock value of this message. Think of that person who instead prefers to believe in a God who is absolute power. And whatever is created that doesn't measure up to standard is destroyed, is just utterly vanquished. That sounds like an omnipotent God. That sounds like a God worth worshiping. It's appealing in a certain way. When you hear of an injustice, when you hear of something really bad going on, how do you respond? Or how do you know that you should respond? Do you respond with whimpering sadness? Or do you know you should respond with proper anger, and no, that should not happen. I am going to make that stop. That will not happen in my presence. Of course you do, or at least you wish you would. We can give them a name, maybe um, absolutists or omnipotentisti, the people who just exaggerate the omnipotence of God thinking that love equals weakness, that love and mercy is an indication that that God is not as omnipotent and almighty as my God. And why do people think that love means weakness? Have they experienced love which is unquenching, which is absolute devotion? 
Have they experienced love that actually changes the world? Or do they associate love with whimpering sadness? Another possible example that might help as we're explaining the mystery of God as revealed by Christ. Imagine a creator who's creating a thing. This isn't the scenario of God creating the universe out of nothing, just a creator creating a thing. And when the creator creates a thing and the thing doesn't behave the way it's supposed to, he just simply obliterates it in anger. This isn't worthy of me. Get this away from me. As opposed to a creator who creates something, and when the thing doesn't behave as it ought to, knows how to fix it. Which creator is superior? Which creator is actually omnipotent? Now, as an alternative, there are those who want a creator who creates things that always work perfectly. This is a different kind of absolutist or omnipotentisti, right? They want a world where there's no original sin. They want a world where everything's perfect. Nothing's bad. Nothing's evil. Everyone goes to heaven. It's a different kind of over-reliance on God being simply absolute power. It sounds like they want a nice God. It, and even to their own um, by their own admission, they, they th think that they want a nice God. In fact, they want an absolute omnipotent power who has no mercy as much as the other ones do. Because in their world, they don't want anything to be wrong or evil. There's either goodness or psychological infirmity, right? There's no such thing as evil. Think of how this plays out as we consider the world, especially in the wake of celebrating the feasts of St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher during these days when the bishops have designated a fortnight of freedom. There are those whose notion of God results in their wanting public power to be absolute. No mercy whatsoever. And then there are those who want public power to be absolute and takes care of everything so there are no problems, so that everything's good and happy. In a separate category, there are Christians who have been in the world now for almost 2,000 years. The Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Joseph have been in the world for more than 2,000 years, but the others took a few years to catch up. By the time of, you know, 2030, we can say, 2,000 years for all of us who know that when we've been given power and authority, we have been given a responsibility to govern in the name of God. And so we do, uh, we do, do so with wisdom and, and, and decisiveness, but also mercy. When we have others to govern or when we govern in public, we do likewise. We know that not every evil gets stamped out immediately. Sometimes it needs to be fixed. And we also know that there are some things that simply won't, won't be resolved, 
right now. Mind you, too, whether it be Christians or those who believe in an absolute God who has no love and no mercy, just absolute power, we can recognize forms of government where there is an absolute single head of public life. But look at the canonized kings and queens of Christendom. They didn't rule with unrelenting dedication to exacting punishment on everyone who deserves it. Nor were they deluded into thinking that they could fix every problem. In fact, they wore their authority as a burden, as a cross to be carried, knowing that they stood before God and had to answer to him in how they promoted not just the well-being, but all the sal- also the salvation of their subjects. Not too many canonized kings and queens. And so to the world, we present God who is omnipotent and omnipotent, omniscient and perfect love. God who compares himself to a shepherd who goes out after the one lost sheep. Not because he's weak, but because he has the power to save everyone who's willing to be saved. Having just celebrated the solemnity of the Sacred Heart, we recognize then Christ's determination to reveal to us not just how much he loves us, but he wants us to know how much the Father loves us. Christ doesn't love us to make up for that cold, distant Father whom we've never connected with. No, he wants us to know this is precisely how God the Father loves you. This is exactly how God the Father loves me. As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. We know when Christ says, love one another as I have loved you, we know what that means. It means love with your entire being. You give yourself up perfectly. As rational creatures, it means we, we, we submit our earthly life. It already belongs to God, and we lay it down for each other. And we will experience death, which is not our destruction. But it leads to everlasting life. Between two divine persons, it means God the Father perfectly loves God the Son, totally empties himself out, so that what results is God the Son, eternally begotten of God the Father, perfect God, perfect light, perfect truth, perfect divinity, perfect majesty, of the same substance, one in being. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. This is the love of God the Father. This is far more powerful than a God who just simply destroys what he dislikes. This is the God who has the power to create out of nothing and the power to heal, the power to fix, the power to redeem. How many of the church fathers praised God for his ability to create everything, but even more so for his power to redeem 
We celebrate every Sunday the fact that love is stronger than death. And so we don't approach people and say, I believe in a God of love and mercy. And I know you sound unimpressed, that you, it sounds pathetic to you, but, but just, just give it a try. No, with confidence, we proclaim that the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the Almighty God. Any other description of God is unbecoming, unfitting, unworthy of him. In fact, sometimes so different, it's not even the true God. We stand, therefore, in front of him with Christ leading us, the adopted sons and daughters of God, humble and courageous, sinful and forgiven. And we beg to be made like God as he wants us to be. To be in the presence of God and to be joyful is to have been made more like God. To act like God, to love like God, to govern like God, to punish like God, to redeem like God. And if we are not turned into a perfect image and likeness of God, we will not even enjoy being in heaven. And so we won't be there. We pray then that this impossible mystery of love and power, of mercy and majesty, become not just a mystery we adore, but a life that we live. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.